So, anyway. Well, this morning, with the Lord's help, we're going to look at the book of Job. Some scriptures out of there. Job. So if you want to turn in your Bibles and, and head that direction. We'll be looking at some, some things today with the Lord's help that would uh, uh, help us to realize that God is still in control. You know, in the midst of things when sometimes things go sideways, sometimes it seems like they're sliding sideways more than they're going straight forward, right? Things slip sideways. And, and you know that time when you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you hit that muddy clay patch and the, and the truck's sideways, right? And you're like, man, I wish this thing would get out of the rut so I could just get it straight again. And the wife's hollering and saying, get this thing straightened up. And we're going sideways down the road and the rooster tails are flying off to the side. And just before you hit the cattle guard, you finally get it straightened out. Go over the cattle guard, right? Sometimes it feels like life's like that. It feels like <laughs> you're trying your best to keep it straight and it's just next thing you know, it's sideways. And uh, so anyway, thankful that even in the midst of those times, We serve a God that is still in control, the one that made the mountains and created the skies and and that uh, uh, created these beautiful animals around us. Saw the prairie dogs this morning. A lot of times seeing the elk and the the antelope over there by the mine traveling in. A lot of deer lately too we've been seeing on the roads. A God that made those beautiful things. The stars, the wind and the storms. I was up on top of a roof this past week, way up uh, decently high where I could see over the city, the small city of Grants, and, and uh, there's uh, storms up on the mountain, up on Mount Taylor. Rain washing down through the valley there and, and watering the mountainside and a big old rainbow across the sky. And uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful things. And so I'm thankful that uh, we serve that, the God that created these things and that He is in control this morning, even when it seems like it's out of control. Because you see, sometimes we're trying to control it. And it is out of control many times that way. Well, I suppose most of us would know the story of Job this morning. I'll, I'll go over it just briefly. I, I just, I, because I want to get to the tail end of chapter 1 where we start looking at the scripture there. So I want, to, I want to just bring you up to speed here in case you don't know. Job was very blessed. He had children and, and he had cattle and he had camels and he had donkeys. He had many, many things. The Lord says, uh, or the Bible tells us that he was, he was rich. He was wealthy. He was blessed exceedingly with, with things here on this earth. Not only that, he was a man of wisdom and understanding. A man that was respected in his community. And there was a time that, that uh, God allowed the devil to take his things away. And his, in, in just a short time, if you were to read through the first chapter of Job, you would see that God allowed uh, Satan to take all of his animals, all of his children, and eventually his health. Within a very short time, he lost all of the things that he had on this earth. To the point where his wife came to him and said, you should just curse God and die and get it over with. There's nothing good left here. If we read through the chapter there of chapter 1 and, and we get in there, uh, there's three friends. And that, 
that come to see Job. And we're going to just look at that briefly. Chapter 1 of Job, uh, I believe it's uh, verse 20 that we're going to look at here. Let's see here. One verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. We see here that uh, Job gets to the point of realizing that he has nothing. Everything has been taken from him. And he says here, uh, the Bible tells us that he, the things that he did, he got up, tore his clothes, shaved his head, in grief, fell to the ground and began to worship God and said, God's the one that gave me everything that I have. I had nothing when I came into this world and I'll have nothing when I leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Just so we have a picture of how bad this is, let's fast forward into chapter 2 and verse 11. This is the three friends that Job had. He had at least three we know of. Let's start reading here in verse 11. I'm reading in the New King James here. Chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came to his own place, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. These three guys that were friends of Job heard of all the disaster that had come into Job's life. Actually, I think it would be rightly put to say that all hell broke loose in Job's life. Literally, Satan had taken everything that he had and ruined everything good in his life. And his friends heard about it and, and they began to talk one another and, and they began to message back and forth on Facebook and say, hey, you know what? We need to get together and go visit our friend Job. He's had a rough time. Did you hear about it? Yeah, I heard about it. So they make an appointment. They say, you know what? Let's go at the same time. Let's all three go visit. Let's, uh, let's uh, just try to support him. Let's let him know that we, we uh, want to be there to grieve with him. And let's try to encourage him. Or comfort him, it says. So the three guys, they get together. They begin to travel towards one another and they meet up over in the, in the city not far from where Job is. And they, they, uh, 
get in their uh, vehicle together or on their donkeys, whatever they're doing. It's not vehicles, I suppose, but they begin to travel together. And they begin to get close to where Job's house used to be. They get to his driveway down by the road and they park the truck and they all three get out. And they begin to make their way up towards Job's house. You see over in the back of Job's house where he dumps the ashes from the wood stove. There's a pile where the, you know how it is in the wood stove, you throw, sometimes you throw your trash in there. And so when you dump the ashes out, there's some tin can lids. There's some nails from that wood that was no good, but there's no sense in leaving it laying around. So you might as well get some heat out of it, burn it, and the nails are in the stove. And that's where the pile is. Right close to where there's a little arroyo that starts. You pile the trash and the, I'm sorry, the ashes in there. And maybe it is a trash pile. What do you do when the trash pile gets too big? You light it up and burn it. So you guys get the idea of the ash pile out back. And they begin to, to come up towards Joseph's house. And, and they knock on the door and nobody answers. And they walk around the side of the house and they look way off back in the back where the ash pile is, and there's Job sitting there. I want to read the next verse to you today. Verse 12 of chapter 2. And when they raised their eyes from afar, from a ways off, and did not recognize him, they lifted up, lifted their voices, and wept. Each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. This gives us a little bit more of a picture this morning as we can imagine these three friends stepping around the side of the house and seeing Job way up in the, in the sitting on the edge of the arroyo in the ashes. And it was so bad that his friends did not recognize him. His body, the Bible tells us, was covered with sores as the disease had come across his body to the point that he was just sitting in the ashes taking the tin can lids and scraping himself. He was visibly changed to where his friends did not recognize him anymore. Covered with sores and ashes. To the depths of grief where he had lost his children and everything that he had. It was so bad that these three friends didn't even know what to do when they come around and they saw him as they did. They realized that it was him, but they did not recognize him. They tore their clothes. They poured dirt on their heads and they stood there and cried. Let's read verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his grief was very great. I have been with a lot of people when they're at the point of grieving. I have spent days with people that are grieving loss. And I have yet to see anything to this extent. 
This is seven days and seven nights. No one said a word. Four guys sitting in the ash pile. Job groaning and moaning from pain and from grief. Three guys sitting there not knowing what to say, not knowing what to do other than just to cry with him. And up until this point, these three friends were pretty good friends, I would say. I, would, uh, I wanted to pause here and say something that was pointed out to me in some reading recently. Friendship is not lost when we're listening. Friendships are broken and friendships are, are, are damaged typically when we open our mouth. And the point just briefly in this little section that we're going to take away from this this morning is, is that in many times in trying to understand what to do and trying to understand what to say to help someone that's grieving, don't forget that listening counts. These guys sat there and listened and said nothing for seven days and seven nights. And it has been on my heart to remember that friendships don't require words many times. They require listening. And I think Actually, I'm about 100% positive. Had these guys started talking, that it would have went downhill. Because they did start talking eventually, and it went downhill. But at least there was comfort. There was friendship. There was a closeness of, of friends. Even when no words were being said. And that was just extra this morning on that part to, to help us to understand that to be a friend... We don't know what to say. I, I've heard many people say, I don't know what to say. You know what? A lot of times we don't have to say anything. As we're listening, uh, uh, it gives the other person the floor, right? The ability, the power to say what they want. If we're busy talking, we're not making room for someone to say something. And so listening gives power to the others to say something. It lets others know that you value what they're thinking, you value what they're saying, you value their pain and their suffering and where they're at in life when you listen. It lets others know that we love and we understand them and we care for the situation that they're in. You see, it's very difficult to, to, to let those things carry across in words. You can say, I love you, I care for you, I understand. But listening truly gets that point across. It also, listening allows us to be in a place where we can show that we desire to grow, that we desire to understand more deeply, that we are in a place that we're teachable, we're ready to learn. 
I don't think there's much that could be said if you find yourself as a friend of Job and you walk up to his ash pile and sit down. I really don't think there's much that could be said. The grief is too deep. The loss is too great. The pain is too much. I'm not going to read the stuff that Job's friends said. Actually, I want to point out, though, if you look at chapter 3, that Job is the one that broke the silence. Job did begin to talk. After seven days and seven nights, Job began to talk. And he began to wish that he had never been born. He began to, to share that he wished that he would just come to the end, that God would have mercy on him and just take his life. Get down through chapter 3 and into chapter 4 and, and one of his friends begins to speak. And we have several chapters of, of, uh, of uh, these friends speaking. And I, I, I think a lot of times when we, when we are trying to talk and help someone, actually a lot of times when we're speaking with our mouth, if we're not careful... Will be um, be like they, the the way I understand this this morning is like they they say uh, you know people that scratch an itch and if you have an itch you pretty much just scratch it right you don't think about it right you just scratch it right the idea this morning is let's not be like that with our words a lot of people that would just say something before they think whatever whatever feels good falls out of their mouth just like we don't think about it before we scratch the itch right and a lot of what these friends were saying is i think they were in in such a, a, a shock of what had happened and where this was at where job was at that they began to just kind of scratch some itches and they begin to scratch themselves and scratch each other and scratch Job. I'm talking about with their words and say whatever was on their mind and whatever felt good, whatever they thought was true. The caution for us this morning is to be careful not to just go around scratching an itch, right? Not to just go around saying whatever feels good. What did we just talk about? We talked about listening, right? That's the opposite. Listening, truly trying to understand what someone is saying, trying to understand the situation. What is God trying to say to me? Listening and not just spouting off everything that comes to mind. These friends would be, uh, if, if they would have had Facebook on the, on their, um, on their, at this time in history, they would have jumped on social media and been like, you know what, we're here with Job. He's been struggling. I want you guys to, they'll start this way. I want you guys to all pray for Job. He's had a rough time. He's lost his family. He's covered in sores here. Let me take a little selfie here so you can see how bad all this is. And then we're here encouraging him to get his life straightened out so that God can give him healing. And they begin to go down. That's what they would have done, I believe. And they began to go down the road of, of trying to fix Job's problems with their words. 
I don't, uh, I don't know uh, exactly why that's in the message this morning uh, for you, but for me this morning, I wanted to understand how bad it was for Job. It's bad enough to lose everything you have and, and lose every blessing that God had given you, it seems. And then to have friends come by that begin to tell you how to fix it and where you've gone wrong and, and how you screwed up and how you could have done better and how you should change this and change that. You understand the difficulty that he found himself in. It was a low, low spot in Job's life. Job's life. I think I would pause here this morning and remind us of a couple of things. I want this to go to the direction that if we find ourselves here, and that's where we're headed. But it could also be this morning that if we find ourselves as one of the friends, that we would be, uh, uh, be at a place that we realize we need to listen. We need to be careful what we say. We need to focus more on the listening side and less on the talking. Focus more on the asking questions so that we can understand and less on the explaining on how they need to change. I think about Jesus and, and the examples that he gives us in his word in the New Testament uh, while his, in his time while he was here on this earth. And, and uh, he, was asked, he was asked many questions and he, he, was, he was in and was found in many difficult situations where, where someone was was being accused of something or, or someone was, was handicapped and then people were saying, well, what did this guy do? You know, surely he sinned and messed up. That's why, he, obviously, you know, he's, he don't have the Lord's blessing. And Jesus found himself in many situations like this. And I, I, one of the things that we can take away from looking at Jesus' uh, way that he communicated, there was times when he was silent. He didn't say anything. And there was times that he dealt with those situations by asking questions. And in asking those questions, it would allow possibly for himself to have time. But more likely for the other people to stop talking, to think about how they were going to answer those questions. And I think that would be pertinent information for us this morning. If we find ourselves in a situation and we're tempted to start scratching the itch and, and letting stuff fall out of our mouth, then maybe we would pause and listen. Or maybe we would ask a question. If we have to say something, ask a question. So that we can try to understand the situation just a little bit better. Let's go down to chapter, we're going to skip through several chapters here. This whole back and forth between Job and his friends. We're going to get to chapter 12. Job in chapter 12 is, 
is answering his, his friends. Friends at this point, right? He's, he's answering them, and, and they have turned from being his friends to his critics now. They're trying to whip him in shape. And Job answers them, and, and he uh, is pretty much sick of it. If you read through the first few verses of chapter 12, verse 2, it says, let your wisdom die with you. In other words, the stuff that you're saying, let it just die with you. We're, I'm done hearing it. All kinds of things there. I wanted to skip down to verse 13. He begins, he gets done telling them that he's tired of hearing what they had to say. And he begins to talk about God. And he says here, starting in chapter 12 and verse 13. Remember, before we read this today, remember the picture that is in our minds of where Job is. Remember the ash pile. Remember so messed up from sores that he is not recognizable. Bleeding and oozing. Covered in ash. Lost everything. Now we're out to over seven days and nights. Sitting in the ashes. Scraping himself. Hearing what other people have to say about how he should have done better and how he needs to repent. Think about that picture this morning and let's pick up what Job begins to say about God. Verse 13 of chapter 12. With him are wisdom and understanding. He has counsel and and understanding. Job starts off by saying that God has the wisdom and he has the strength. His second part of the verse says he has counsel and he has understanding. In other words, God knows, God understands. Verse 14, if he breaks a thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. He says if God tears it down, you ain't fixing it. If he imprisons a man... There can be no release. If God puts you in prison, you cannot get out. Verse 15, if he withholds the water, they dry up. If God says it don't rain, it don't rain. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. If God tells the insects, or God tells the animals, or God tells the sickness, or God tells anything to go out, it overwhelms the world. Verse 16, with him are strength and prudence. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He owns everything and everyone. Verse 17, he leads counselors away plundered and makes fools of the judges. In other words, the, the, the guidance counselors are the ones that we hire and put in places of leadership to try to tell people what to do and how to get counseling. Job says here, he says he leaves them totally wasted. They don't even know what just happened. And then he says of the judges, the ones that are, are discerning between right and wrong. God, if he deals with them, can make them a fool. Verse 18, he loosens the bonds of kings and binds their waist with a belt. 
In other words, kings and those in charge of leadership in countries and nations don't do anything unless God says it's time to do it. Job says there that he's, he's the one that's tying their clothes. They don't do anything unless God says. Verse 19, he leads princes away plundered and overthrows the mighty. Those that think they're blessed with all kinds of things and all the strength that they might have, God has power over them. Verse 20, he deprives the trusted ones of speech and, and takes away the discernment of the elders. In other words, those that think that they have... Um, Sorry, I lost my spot there. Those that think that they have secrets, they're deprived of trusted ones of speech. Those that think they have, have uh, secrets, God knows them. He also takes away the wisdom of those that think that they're speaking wise things. Verse 21, he pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. Verse 22, he uncovers deep things out of darkness and brings the shadow of death to light. I don't even, it doesn't even matter how dark it is. The darkest place in hell, the darkest place in our life, and the darkest place anywhere, even to death, he can bring those things to light. Verse 23, he makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. By the way, if our country is going to proceed to anything good or anything right, it is because we as the people would fall on our faces and beg God for mercy and ask Him for guidance and direction. If the Navajo Nation is going to be anything worth anything, it will be because they fall on their knees and ask God for guidance and direction and wisdom. No other way. Verse 24, he takes away the understanding of chiefs, of the chiefs of the people of the earth, and makes them wander in paths of wilderness. Even those that would be uh, the chiefs or the, or the high ups in charge, the president or whoever it might be, they said when God deals with them, he can make them wander in paths in the wilderness. They don't even know where they're going. They don't even understand. Walking in a fog. Can't think straight. Last verse of verse of chapter 12. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Do you understand today that if a nation, or if a people, or if a family, or if a person, an individual this morning turns away from God and begins to walk away from the light, that the darkness is so deep and so dark that that last verse says that there he makes them stagger like a like a, dr a drunken man. They grope in the dark. They can't even see where their hands are at, trying to feel their way, trying to understand which way is right, tripping into the arroyos, crawling their way out. It's dark when we turn away from God. He is light. Chapter 13. I think we'll go down to verse 13. Chapter 13, verse 13. 
hold your peace with me and let me speak. In other words, be quiet and let me say something. Understand the grief that Job is in, the place that he has found himself, the picture that we have painted this morning. How dark, how deep, how, how much pain, how much suffering, how much grief he has found himself in. Nobody understands. And yet he just told us how powerful God is, that God is still in control, that God is still the one that brings the light in darkness, and nothing happens unless God says so. And he says, now be quiet and let me tell you something. I'm just going to finish with verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend mine own ways before him. Job simply says, after all of this picture that we're looking at this morning and thinking about, he said, even if God decides that this is the end for me and he kills me, I still trust him. Even if he says this is the end for me and I die tonight, I still trust that he is in control. He still knows what's right and this is the right time for me to die. That is the commitment this morning that Job had to God. You know, half of, half of this, I, I don't even know how many, right? I feel like so many of us are so flimsy and soft-hearted these days. Everything is microwaved and instant. We, uh, anything we want is right there. We want padded shoes and padded seats and air-conditioned everything. And the first time that something goes south and we find ourselves sitting in a little bit of a, a, little bit of a rough spot, we just want to give up, curse God, blame Him for all of this, and say, I just wish you, and we're done. And we ain't even half of the place where Job is. Our car barely quit running, and we're ready to curse God. Lord, help us this morning to be like Job, that we have commitment to God that says, I don't care if, the, if God says this is the end for me tonight, then this is it, I'm done. And I still trust him because he knows that that's the end for me. And he knows that's right. If he says that that's the end for my children, if he says that's the end for my wife, if he says that's the end for the husband, the grandchildren, if he says that's the end for anything, I trust him. If he says that my car should not run today, I trust him that it shouldn't run today. And the list goes on and on and on. Everything was taken from Job. Even his friends turned into critics that were trying to fix his problems. Job says, I don't care what other people say. I don't care how dark the night is. I don't care how much pain I'm in. I don't care how much, how deep the grief is. I'm still committed to trusting God. The God of the mountains, the God of the animals, the God of this world that gives us life and breath, the God that allowed us to have the moments that we have here on this earth. 
and the God that allows us to even breathe right now. I trust him that he's still in control and that he is the one that says there ain't nobody in this world, not a governor, not a president, not a chief, not anybody that's going to say this is over and this is this way or that way without God saying it's okay first. He's still in charge. And I still trust him. No matter if it's dark, dark, dark. I think about the song that we started with this morning. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Even if no one follows me, I've still decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. A hundred percent sold out to God. You can kill me tonight and I still love you. I don't know what else to say other than I know that each and every family here has been impacted or is being impacted by drama, by difficulty, by, by pain, by suffering, by sickness, by death, by bad things that are said behind the back. You, let, you just keep the list going. We know that we've found ourselves in places like that. Every single person here, no doubt, has been impacted multiple times, probably almost down to a weekly basis. That it's like that in our lives. And yet even in that. We haven't been anywhere close. And I know everybody here. On fairly decent level. And I will guarantee that I, I, I could. I, if I was a betting man. I would bet that you're not even half the place that Job found himself in. I haven't pulled up to your house yet. And couldn't recognize you. Because you were sitting in the ash pile. Scraping your sores. We're blessed here, people. We're, we're blessed with, and we've, we've thanked God for those things. The blessings that He's given, the health and the strength, the transportation, this beautiful place that He has allowed us to live, the family that we have. And I guess the short thing tonight, today is, is if wherever you find yourself, whatever difficulty, pain, suffering, darkness that you find yourself in, Remember that there's a God that is in control. He still loves us. He's still in control. And be committed to Him 100%. If you, I have this feeling this morning that if we were committed like Job, if everyone here was as committed as Job was, where we would say, it doesn't matter what God decides to do, I trust that He knows what's best, and He's in control, that if every boy and every girl, every mom and dad, and every man and woman here would do that this morning, that it would change this whole part of the world. Because we would do whatever God wanted. We would be obedient to Him. We would be sold out. No more halfway, halfway Christian, halfway, halfway whatever else, right? No more halfway uh, uh, over here and holding back. And God, you can have this part, but I'm going to control this part. A hundred percent. No more hypocrites. True blue. All the way. A hundred percent for God. It would change our world. It would change our families. Lord, help me this morning. 
to be like Job. No matter what people say. No matter what I have or don't have. No matter what I used to have or wished I still had or wished I could get back again. No matter what my friends have or my enemy have. That I'm 100% for God. Like I said, we're, we're not careful, we're soft. We live in an instant world where everything's comfortable. And the first time somebody runs their mouth a little bit, we fall off the wagon. Lord, help us to have a little bit more commitment and backbone than that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the truth that you brought to us. Lord, help us uh, to draw close to you. To understand the seriousness of the matter. Lord, to understand that you desire and must have a 100% commitment and no less. Help us to not be wishy-washy, hypocritical, gray, lukewarm, whatever it might be. But Lord, that we would be hot and on fire and serving you 100%, no matter what people say, no matter what happens, that we're committed to you. We love you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming today.